The year that this week's album was released saw the television debut of a spunky explorer with a map that talked, a phenomenon that hadn't yet made it into our cars and cell phones. This week's band is centered around two core members who went on to front the inscrutable, often indulgent prog rock group, The Mars Volta. This week's album features a cameo from the godfather of punk, who also made an appearance on one of the Star Trek shows that aired in the 90s. The year was 2000. The band was at the drive-in. That's not where they were, that's just, well, you get it. The album was their post-hardcore masterpiece, Relationship of Command. Today, on Two Dudes and Tunes. You're listening to Two Dudes and Tunes, a recorded conversation between two dudes about their favorite tunes. I'm Chris Robinson, one of the titular dudes, and the other dude is Wood Johnson. Wood, I am getting old. Never forget that age is just a number, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, the numbers mean things. Not me. uh, (laughs) Well, my back is telling me that that age is not just a number. Age is a lifestyle. <laughs> True. I guess, I guess there's some the reality and, to it. And it ends with me falling asleep watching TV. I, It's pointless for me to watch anything past like nine. The other day, Megan and I were sitting down to watch an episode of Eureka because we've been really enjoying that show. And I, I missed the whole thing. All of it, the whole thing. I woke up at the end and Megan was like, you're going to have to rewatch that because a lot of important stuff happened. It was like a season finale that I I had slept through. So um, I'm feeling the ripe old age of 32, I guess. Eureka is an underrated show. It and Warehouse 13, uh, same production companies and same, same kind of universe. There was a lot of crossover between the two. Phenomenal show, though. I love that one. Yeah, uh, we're enjoying it. That's great, man. You know, man, I got to be honest. I think the end of the year is kind of sinking in. I started the first of several long vacation stints today uh, for me kind of finishing up the year. And I've got to be honest, I don't know where 2021 went. Uh, I have a 14-month-old baby at this point. I'm mm-hmm. rushing to get my employees' end-of-year appraisals done and their bonuses submitted I'm hiring for open positions. I'm just like my hair's on fire and I have to like stop and take vacation time or else I lose it. So I'm kind of a ball of nerves at the moment. Uh, So I'm uh, sorry about that. That's (laughs) that does not sound like a whole lot of fun, especially being on vacation and being a chicken with your head cut off. Like it's bad enough when that happens during the workday. Today was the first day, so hopefully it'll get better tomorrow. And by the time we get around to next Monday, we'll be easing into whatever we've got to do. Um, I did want to bring up one thing. Uh, I found a new to me band uh, a couple of weeks ago and talked to you a little bit about it. They're practically all I've been listening to apart from the required listening for this podcast. It's a group called Goodnight, Texas. And it's a. Uh, it's kind of a country bluegrass folk band. Like they're a hybrid of a lot of different things. They don't really fit into any particular envelope, if you will. One of the things I like about them is they're a really small indie group. Uh, They've got two frontmen, and one of the frontmen lived in Seattle when they started and the other one lived in New York. So they'd meet in Texas to play and record with each other. And their music is phenomenal. It's way too good uh it does not have a big enough audience so if you get a second check it out uh well worth it yeah i uh i put this album on my phone or not the the not probably the, the album, album i you? sent you yeah the which album, was their i said this album realizing album. that yeah. yeah um i i i started talking and realized like <laughs> You mentioned the band, not an album. Uh, and I enjoyed it. I, I didn't get super deep into it. I got maybe like one listen in 
and and enjoyed it but just because of the listening for this this podcast and also i've got a few audiobooks that i'm you know there's a lot of stuff that that distracts me but it is really good americana really good good old boy music but in a good way not in like a radio country way yeah which i find refreshing yeah well neither of us likes radio country so there you go yeah. Well, hey man, uh last week you told me you were coming down to Austin. How was your trip? Man, our trip was fantastic. Uh we went to go see so I, I realized thinking about it the other day that I withheld the identity of the band for no apparent reason other than I didn't want to talk too much about them in uh an episode because they have an album on our list. Uh but I'll just go ahead and say we went to go see Dr. Dog at Stubbs in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Dr. Dong is an indie band. They've been around for quite a while. Um, and they, they kind of describe themselves as uh, being influenced by the three Bs, the Beach Boys, the Beatles, and Bob Dylan. Okay. And um, they have a fantastic, like, it, they're a fantastic band because a lot of them are multi-instrumentalists. So one of the things they do that's a lot of fun is they will switch instruments mid song. Um, so they've got a drummer, a bassist, two guitarists, a keyboardist, and then they had an extra percussion person, uh, which they didn't have the last time we saw them. Uh, they didn't have like an extra percussion guy. And so just depending on who wanted to play what, like there was a, a song uh, that they did at the show that we went to where the pianist got up and grabbed a guitar and a slide and like was doing a slide part and slide solos. And he like walked off stage to like chat with people in the front row and stuff. Um, so it, it was good. It was an interesting experience. The reason I said uh, that I'm getting old at the top of the uh, show here is that we went and the doors to Stubbs opened at seven. Mm-hmm. So we got there at like 6.15 because we wanted a really good spot. So we stood in line until 7 o'clock when the doors opened. And we went up to the very front um, and stood around there until about 8.15 when the opener played. And the opening band was good. They were a lot of fun. They're this band, Toth. It's the last name of the guy who fronts the band, and they're just kind of a a quirky indie act from uh, New Jersey, I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they concluded their set at 9.15, and then at 9.30, Dr. Dog came on. Well, Dr. Dog was supposed to play until 11.30. And the thing that I've noticed about Dr. Dog that I find really strange is that they're setup is deafening mm-hmm. for whatever reason they they just crank their music through the mains incredibly loud um and megan and i kind of we, we've been to see this band twice and we wind up standing to the right of the stage kind of close to the speakers both times we wound up doing that and it was loud the first time we saw them. And the first time we saw them was in some indoor, smaller venue concert house place in Lawrence, Kansas. But this time the volume was just unbearable. And it was, it was to the point where a lot of it was just kind of distorting. Um, and, and before our listeners jump on me for being an old man, I've been to some pretty loud shows. I went to go see Circa Survive and Coheed and Cambria at the White Rabbit in San Antonio. I don't know how much you remember about mm-hmm. the White Rabbit, mm-hmm. but um, it's still a venue. But enough people gotten stabbed there that it's not a very good yeah. venue anymore. Well, it was a dump. It was terrible. <laughs> I mean, no, no shade if you're the proprietor and somehow you're listening to this. Uh, but I've seen really loud bands at cheap venues, and the sound quality has still been good. Uh, so we were just getting bludgeoned by this music. It was just so loud. And, and so at a certain point, Megan just turned around. It was about a little over halfway through the show. She just turned around and she was like, I'm just not having fun anymore. Like 
We've been standing for hours. My head hurts. And I had been thinking the exact same thing. Like when she, when she turned around, it was like, we need to, we should leave. I'm not having fun. I was like, okay, good. Cause neither am I. Um, and, and part of the reason we were so quick to leave is because we had decided to shell out for a nice hotel room and our, our hotel was across the street. Mm-hmm. Literally all we had to do was walk across the street into our hotel, get in our elevator and get in bed and watch TV. And so we, with our ears ringing in our heads, we laid in bed and watched, like we watched friends for like an hour or so. And we could like, when we went to bed, we could still hear Dr. Dog doing their art encore, like 10 floors below us. Wow. Yeah. They were loud. And I don't understand because they really are like the Beatles is a good comparison point to Mm -hmm. draw. Like there's some keys, there's some sort of funky guitar licks. Um, You know, the singers have kind of comparable registers and yet it's like, why yeah i I don't understand and they're quitting touring to just make albums so i don't know if they just feel more at home doing that than getting out on the road and touring for 360 days out of the year um but it was a lot of fun it definitely proved to me that i'm getting old and you know more likely to to quit a concert halfway through if it's not to my liking which i don't know if that makes me snooty or what but it was good. It was a good time was had by all, despite the uh, deafening music. So not to take us too far away, my first, I'm getting too old for this kind of moment was probably about three years ago. Tiffany and I went and saw Justin Timberlake in concert. Oh man. It was phenomenal. I was having a great time until about an hour into his two hour set. Is that the limit? It's just an hour of music is all we can handle. Evidently, I was still enjoying him and his music. It was really loud. I was uncomfortable with how loud it was. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that was insufferable was Tiffany and I were surrounded by like high school girls who were like screaming at the top of their lungs the whole time. And after about an hour, they sounded like cave trolls, but they were still doing it. (laughs) And so (laughs) Tiffany, Tiffany, same kind of thing turned to me and just said, I'm not having fun anymore. And I agreed. And so we left about halfway through Justin and it was a phenomenal show. It was his uh, man among the woods tour which is kind of his country crossover tour. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And the audience just ruined it for me. Like it was loud. It was too loud. And then the audience was just obnoxious. I, yeah, I have, we have some stories from, I can, I can tell you some bad audience stories from this Dr. Dog show, if you would like, (laughs) but, but that was my first old man. Like, and I'm incredibly cheap. If we shelled out like a hundred bucks to be here, a ticket, we're going to sit through this whole thing. Nah, not anymore. We're going <laughs> no, see, to this is, we're going to Sonic this, and we're going home. <laughs> this is why you need to develop a taste in uh mopey indie bands is because we the 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 least expensive thing we did was go see Dr. Dog. <laughs> uh you know, because we're like on we're like a uh, hip the uh, hop skip and a jump away from uh 6th Street. Mm-hmm. So we like before we had like an early dinner at like a really nice place. Um, this place called Eureka mm-hmm. with a exclamation mark, really great burgers, really delicious, uh, food. Uh, and then we like for grins, we stopped at a shop bar and got some weird shots. Um, and then went back up to the hotel r- room and got ready and went to the show. Uh, so we had fun, you know, during the waking hours, but once, once we had a certain point with noise and crowds, we were just like, all right, that's, this is too much. We can't do this. Oh, well, I think that's great for our opening talk. And we get to talk a lot more about uh, things being too loud for my comfort uh, as we get into (laughs) relationship of command. Ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. Let's dive in. All right, Chris. At the Drive-In's album, Relationship of Command, I believe this was their fourth album, released September 12th, 2000. I like to think of myself as a pretty well-rounded music fan. I, but I'll be honest, the 
post punk grunge thing. That was a train I missed when I was younger. Uh, would you care to tell our audience how you managed somehow to board the trolley to Screamo Town? In this case, Screamo Town is the 915 El Paso. <laughs> so I, I don't, I would say I don't want to be a pedant, but I kind of have to be. Uh, this is post hardcore. It's not Screamo. See, Screamo. They scream, I'm good. There's no just, delineation. <laughs> Screamo gets applied by people who don't like it to anything that has screaming in it, uh, which is slightly inaccurate. So if you've listened to like Hawthorne Heights, that's Screamo. Cause it's like, it, it's kind of emo, right? So emo came out, you know, in the early, early nineties where punk bands were kind of getting in touch with their softer side. Uh, and, and so th- those kind of bands are emo. Uh, but, I discovered this band when I listened, when I discovered them at the time, I didn't know what post hardcore was. That didn't mean anything to me. I was browsing the website, allmusic.com. Have mm-hmm. you ever, Yep. have you ever, so it, it's kind of a, it's, it's basically Wikipedia for bands kind of before Wikipedia had become a big thing. And when I was in high school and early college, I remember I would just sit and read all music pages of bands that I liked and look, or, you know, if you like this, try this. Uh, and so I had just gotten into the band Coheed and Cambria, uh, which is another story for another time. If we get to that album on our list, I can tell it. Um, but I was kind of looking for more stuff like that because I my musical sensibilities had been kind of rooted in classic rock. I've kind of talked about that before, but that was sort of the train I was on and I was looking for something new. And when I looked at the artists you might like or artists that are similar to this section of the Coheed and Cambria page at the drive-in was always listed. Uh, and when I would read about Coheed in the, uh, you know, a guitar world magazine, it would be, if you like this, then try at the drive-in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember going to Barnes and Noble. It was the Barnes and Noble at Northwoods <laughs> um, for you San Antonio listeners. Uh, and I just found this album because it had been on those lists and bought it. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, I spent a lot of, <laughs> a lot of high school complaining about emo music. Uh, and whining about, oh, these whiny singers and punk music is really boring. Um, A lot of what I was complaining about was (laughs) post-hardcore, post-hardcore music. But I also realized in doing research for this show that a lot of the bands I liked in high school were also post-hardcore bands Uh, because it encompasses, you know, genre is such a squishy thing mm-hmm. uh post hardcore encompasses some stuff that i really don't like that is kind of whiny uh but also bands like uh at the drive-in circus survive taking back sunday coheed and cambria these are all bands that kind of fall under that broad umbrella and so this kind of was that thing that i was looking for that was different than all the blues based hard rock that I was listening to. And it is kind of why I got so attached to it. I think is because it represented, it represented this new and different and weird and exciting thing when I was looking for exactly that. And that was kind of my introduction to this band was just discovering it online and uh, just running to Barnes and Noble and shelling out the money for it sight unseen, which is unusual for me. Usually I like to hear something and know whether I like it or not. But in this case, I was just desperate for new music and shelled out 15 bucks or whatever. You know, when you put this uh, album on the list, I was familiar with at the drive-in. Uh, so I kind of knew what was coming, uh, when you put it on the list about a year ago and I spent a long time hoping that it wouldn't come up for a long time <laughs> to come because 
Yeah, I was. Yeah, I, it was one of those albums that immediately had a bullseye on my on its back, where I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna get to rip a new a new meaning to life into Chris uh, <laughs> for this album because it was not something that I was even remotely interested to spending a week listening to, let alone the. Put a- yeah. put a new hole in that CD. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be off center. Uh, so I'm glad we made it to episode 38 before it finally came up uh, because I've had a little bit of time to uh, mature as a human being and, you know, <laughs> the reality that it's been on the list for almost a year at this point. Uh, yeah, so we I'm might feeling- not have made it this far into the podcast <laughs> if it had been episode three or four. You'd be like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about this, man. On second thought, I, this list sucks. I, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm busy on Thursday. Sorry. Uh, so I've had a lot of time to grow a lot more grace uh, and be ready for this. Um, I really do not like any music that has screaming or yelling in it as the vocal thing it's just an automatic just eject the Turns cd and off. throw it out the window kind of thing yeah. don't litter kids <laughs> yeah, use it as a coaster i yeah, mean get or some to keep use birds of off of your fruit trees something you know? <laughs> there you go <laughs> keep the grackles away you got uh, plenty of those in san antonio there is nothing musical about it in my estimation i mean like let's just get that out of the way with, with the screaming and the the whatever it's just it doesn't work for me. I can't reconcile it and even say, well, for what it is, it's good. It just does not work. Does um, not compute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, yeah. very data kind of impression. Like I, I don't get the <laughs> joke. It's, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, that said, um, you know, there are some great tunes on this album that I kind of thought of when you separate the lyrics, the vocal performance, the, you know, that element of it. And you listen to just the music. This is a great band and musically, this is a great album as far as just what music is on it. What I would consider music on it. The, the one person that I was just kind of, or the, the one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is one of my favorite tracks on this. That's kind of a middle ground where you do get some of that higher pitched screaming kind of towards the chorus or whatever is invalid litter department which i think is kind of a funny name for a song like one thing let's talk about that for a second their naming scheme is all over the place like where where do they get some of those and i looked at all their albums to be like it's continual just random words that it has four syllables it gets in it um they're so i we might as well talk about this because you and i both had things to say about it Lyrically, this band is a little bit of word salad. Um, it's not and, even and that. I, yeah, it's like throw everything into a blender and <laughs> see what comes out. And, and I, I'm real hesitant to say like, oh, this is meaningless. Because I think whether you like the abstraction or not, um, like these are left-leaning punk dudes. Mm-hmm. Like there's some meaning there somewhere. Uh, I think just... Whatever. We haven't unlocked the combination to their secret message. Yeah. Play the yeah, Beatles I, backwards. Paul is dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to crack that code because I, I have never spent time digging into their lyrics, but I will say they have really, they have meaningful or not meaningful, uh, memorable turns of phrase in some of their music. Um, I really like like the tune one armed scissor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read somewhere that that's like kind of a concept song about a spaceship called the one armed scissor. Uh, but the point where um, Cedric Bixler Savala, their, um, their lead singer, he sings over and over again, send transmission from the one armed scissor. That just kind of rolls off the tongue really well. Mm-hmm. even if it doesn't mean anything. Uh, the tune invalid litter department. Uh, and they made sure that the obituary showed pictures of smokestacks. Uh, the song sleepwalk capsules, Lazarus through the party, Lazarus through the fight. Like, I don't know what any of it means, but 
some of the turns of phrase are really fun to like sing along with and get stuck in my head. Like me personally, I know you didn't care much for the, the, the vocals, but I do appreciate kind of a, a, a really strange left turn approach to, well, whatever this means, it's going to be catchy and sound interesting. Like um, the thing that I thought of was the song black hole sun by mm-hmm. Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Cornell has said that song doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. He was trying to write lyrics that sounded nice, mm-hmm. uh, rolling off the tongue in the lips. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it is what it is, uh, to quote one of our presidents. Um, it is, you know, the, the, the vocals are probably what separate people from liking or disliking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the band for the most part, I would say. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting that you don't, I, I mentioned to you that this, these were the guys that uh, were the core of Mars Volta as well. And you already knew that, I think. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you replied almost immediately like, yeah, I prefer Mars Volta. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. <laughs> um, Cause I think, I think it, uh, Cedric actually does a lot more traditional singing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I prefer his voice in this to be completely honest with you. There's something about it's the, not Cedric who sings in this album though. It's Jim Ward or whatever who's singing in this album. It's, it's him. It's Cedric. He's the, he is the lead singer in the, in this band for this, this whole I album. Thought on this album, Cedric. it was Jim Ward. Who no. later left the group. No, he didn't do any. This is all Cedric Bixler's of okay. all, I promise. Um, I'm not lying to you. It's okay. Um, but I, I, I think, so as, as I have kind of aged along with this music, I have found that I gravitate less towards Mars Volta, even though it's kind of more traditional, more polished music. And I have stuck with this this album specifically. I don't really listen to much of their other catalog. Um, they put out an album in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I listened to it once, maybe twice. And it didn't stick with me as much as this one does. Um, yeah, and let's talk about that for a second. So I kind of listened to selections from their entire catalog trying to get a feel because although I know who at the drive-in is, I didn't really have a full grasp of their catalog in general. So I kind of wanted to see where this fell in the continuum of their discography. And I was kind of disappointed by this album in comparison to some of their earlier albums. Um, I felt like this album is a victim of that early two thousands overproduction, over compression, uh, kind of vibe that you get from the early 2000s, you know, rock music in general. Whereas their earlier three albums had kind of an indie vibe, which was more, you know, I think true to who they are and who they were as like a touring group. Uh, I read somewhere that they really never got to the touring bus kind of phase of their career. They were more of a, we get in our van and we pull our trailer behind it kind of group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um their early albums, the first three albums have a lot of like lo-fi Nirvana kind of vibes to it. Whereas this is just too clean, too clear, too, too polished to be, as you would say, like post hardcore, but not polished enough to be like popular hard rock or whatever. Like it just doesn't satisfy that, that itch to me. So the, uh, the, uh, the guy who produced this Ross Robinson, um, cousin Ross, I like to call him, uh, that's a joke folks. I don't know him. He just shares a last name. Uh, he produced this album at Indigo Ranch Studios in Malibu, California. So there's your production value right there is, uh, they went out to sunny Malibu Mm-hmm. Uh, to make this album and it it is definitely more polished than their other stuff because i went back and listened to some select tracks from the three albums before this um 
And I, I tend to like the production of this album. Like for my part, I, what I enjoy about it is the instruments are captured, I think with a fair amount of fidelity, but not, you know, they're not, they're not trying to quantize everything and make it fit into a, you know, certain time signature grid. Uh, the, there's a real liveliness to this album that I like. Um, Part of that's because they recorded the album live because they had yeah. trouble getting that, you know, that energy that they would get if they were doing it just a piece by piece. So, yeah. It, and that it kind of surprises me that that's the case. I, I Googled when I was working on show nuts today uh, during my lunch break, I Google or I didn't Google. I, I looked up on YouTube. I just typed in at the drive-in and they had a live performance from Jules Holland, uh, the Jules Holland show over there in the UK. That was absolutely atrocious. Mm-hmm. Nobody was in tune. Um, the uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez, I think, is probably kind of a polarizing guitarist because he, he's a little pretentious, I think. In an interview, he stated that he felt like the guitar was an overrated instrument and he always feels at war with it. And so I think what that equates to is that he doesn't tune it very much and uh, sometimes his guitar tones are a little um, unorthodox on the verge of being bad <laughs> but but I, I i like whatever uh whatever the producer did like you said they played all together in the same room i think this album definitely has a lot of that sort of aggressive frenetic energy um and i, I really like i really like the tones themselves like let alone what they're doing and i think you mentioned this in your notes as well um that you liked the tones and effects. Did that, did that, I mean, obviously it didn't save you from not enjoying the album, but what, what I about didn't it? Say did I you didn't enjoy the album. First of all, I said, I well, don't enjoy, enjoy the, the lyrics vocals. and the vocals. I'm pretty good yeah. at tuning that out though. <laughs> and and I, I wasn't slamming you by the way. Like this is not, this is not accessible. I think music, I would say. <laughs> so I think musically, this is a killer composition, honestly. Um, I did really end up listening and liking the guitar tones. I think the, you know, in quarantined, for instance, probably one of the best bass lines in any track I've ever heard, period. Like it just kills. And to add in the non-musical elements, probably the best use of a thunderstorm in the background of a song that I think I've ever heard. Ever. Absolutely. Like it's so well done. It's super cool. There, there is a lot to like about this, you know, the, the band themselves, you know, playing their instruments together. It's very, very, very tight. Um, it's one reason that I like the invalid litter department, because that is one of those tracks that each one of those guys has an opportunity to kind of be in the spotlight. And you kind of see how they lay in and layer in together. Um, for me though, the one who really stands out, the guitar tones are great. All the effects are great. Uh, and they have aged well, other than the overly bright compression and kind of poppy sound that I think the album has. But the person Mm -hmm. who really stands out to me is, uh, Tony Hajar, who's the drummer. Uh, Oh yeah. He's actually the fourth drummer for this band. Uh, and they have a, uh, 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 oh, Revolving door. My pop culture (laughs) references are fast. What is the 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 amp goes to eleven? They have an ongoing joke about how their drummers are always being murdered. Yeah, Yeah. they have a spinal tap problem. No joke. Their first drummer did pass away uh, in ninety four, I believe. Um, But Tony Hajar was their fourth drummer, and he was with the band from the time they released their first album. He was with them when they recorded their first album all the way through to today. Um, One of the things like he's a phenomenal drummer, but he's self-taught. He's a first generation immigrant from Lebanon. Uh, His parents immigrated from Lebanon to El Paso, Texas. Uh, So there's that. 
Woof. They went from desert to desert. <laughs> exactly. We're home. And yeah, um, they sought out the familiar. <laughs> Cannot blame them for that. And um, one of the things I thought was interesting is uh, he's a chemistry teacher. Uh, in between touring with the band, he never stopped being a chemistry teacher or tutor or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he's a cool. phenomenal drummer. And every track on this, I found myself listening to the drums or the percussion. And he just stands out as just, he's consistent. He's clear. He it's, it's amazing. Uh, when you start honing in on those kinds of things and you're like, Oh man, like he really gets it. So I wanted to call him out because of everything that's going on here. He's the one that just, I kind of found myself focusing on and enjoying his performance the most, uh, on this album. I'm glad you called him out. Uh, the rhythm section on this album is phenomenal. Uh, Paul Hinojos, the bass player. I, I love when rock bands like this give the bassist more room to be more of a voice. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, love, I love a bassist who is just going to serve the song and sit in the pocket, and that's fine. Uh, but like you mentioned, the song Quarantined, all throughout this, album there are a lot of really great like distorted bass tones and overdriven like bass amps and stuff you know I don't, I don't know what all they did in the studio to make that happen um but i i think that you know that core is so important because it in this case with this band you know I like the riffs and I, I was kind of talking a little bit of trash about uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez earlier because I think he can be a little pretentious, but I think part of the reason I enjoy this more than the Mars Volta is because there's a lot more focused riff writing mm-hmm. on this album, him and uh, Jim Ward, who you were mentioning the, the, the guitarist who I, I think he did a lot of like background vocals on this album. Um, and a lot of the like call and response stuff. Uh, they have good, they have good chemistry and they have a good sense of how to make their tones different, but complimentary. Um, you know, there's a lot of times on this album where if Omar is going to do some sort of crazy affected thing, um, Jim Ward's guitar tones are just pretty across the board rock tones. You know, they kind of do a good job of trading off uh, for as much chaos as there is on this album. I felt like texturally the, um, the, uh, the voices never get muddier than they should be. Mm-hmm. You know, this is really pretty chaotic music, uh, but it, it's one of the things that I think really works and really caught my ear when I was a young guitarist still trying to figure out like what I was interested in. and what would I be good at and things, you know, it was, it was a good, a good example to be exposed to, if that makes sense. No, I think, uh, I think that's great. I mean, there is a lot of good, this is a good band. Like they work well together and it's kind of a bummer, um, that they didn't make it much further after this album was released. Uh, I read that this album came out in September and by March of the following year, they were on indefinite hiatus, which lasted until yeah. 2012 that's, when they did Coachella. That's band speak for, we broke up until we found out that we needed more money. And so we got back together band speak for, we ain't talking anymore, but we will one yeah. day when we're broke. Um, <laughs> you, you summed it up so much better than I did. I like stumbled through that and you were just like, Here's the point of this. We are not talking until we need money. And until then I will see you later. It's like, but you know, I thought it was interesting. So I listened to their newer album and I did not like it as much as I liked this album. Um, Mainly because I expected to see some sort of progression in the group. It's, it came out Mm -hmm. 17 years after this album and it's literally the same themes, the same word salad, the same, Nothing's changed. There is no growth or progression. That's one of the things that makes the Beatles so interesting to me is each album is a growth on the the previous album. So cool. You are getting the band back together and we're getting all the magic back, but it's the same magic from 
the year 2000 and we as a society have moved on a lot. I did yeah. kind of wonder though, if they had stayed together, you know, kind of, have we been shortchanged? Cause there is a lot to like about the year 2000 at the drive-in and if they had stayed together and if they had had years more of kind of growing, would their sensibilities match more what 32 year old Chris Robinson's sensibilities are today versus yeah. just, you know, let's put a new coat of paint on it and try it again. You know, I, I, I do wonder about that. Part of my feeling when I was listening to this album this week was that I don't listen to the back half of this album very much. Uh, once you get, I want to say it's quarantined, uh, but l- let me look at the track list just to make sure. But there's a certain point after which I get tired of the album. Yeah, it is around around track 10 uh, and the remaining, you know, tracks mm-hmm. 10 through 13. I just don't. I think they exhausted all their ideas. Um, In my show notes, I talk about this as a pretty tight album. Um, I said, you know, hey, this thing only runs 43 minutes or 44 minutes, whatever it is, for 13 tracks. Like, it's moving on. But I agree. Um, For me, Quarantined is the last track that I really am interested in listening to. And there are a couple in between that I could kind of skip to. It's not perfect for that. I mean, it's 43 minutes, let's say, and it could probably be cut down to about 36 and I'd be just as happy with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I am the first person to be like, Hey, if you don't have the material, just give me a nine track album. Led Zeppelin made it work for for an entire career. Yeah. Well, I mean, right up until physical graffiti, the longest album they had had was probably like nine tracks. Uh, But yeah. And, and that's why I think, you know, I think that uh, the two lead guys, Cedric and Omar, I think they did move on. I think that's what Mm -hmm. the Mars Volta was. And I, I appreciated that music in high school because I think at the time I wanted to be, I, it was one of those things where as you know, a young immature kid, you think like, well, if I like this, then that is my personality trait. I like difficult and interesting things. And I found that as I've gotten older, like I don't enjoy those albums. And that is kind of where they went as musicians. They stopped doing the sort of aggro, Mm-hmm. you know, heavy kind of spastic post hardcore band and went into like frog territory and made all these really big, long indulgent albums that I just don't listen to anymore. Um, I went back and listened to their first, some of their first album uh, today while I was at work and just didn't, I didn't connect with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I mean, uh, I hate to like render this judgment, uh, but I think this is as good as those two guys get for me making music. Like the first nine tracks of a 13 track album. Cause I, I, like I said, and like you mentioned, you did also, I listened to their other stuff and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is kind of the refinement of that sort of raw rock energy. And it's about as much of this as I ever want to listen to. Yes. First nine tracks and that's it. You know, it's good. It's a good nine tracks, but that's not even the whole album. And they wind up repeating themselves over the course of 13 tracks, which is, is too bad really. Yeah. Because if you're repeating yourself after that, then you don't have that much to say, at least in this way. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that did strike me uh, when I was listening to this is I generally have the album work open or, I, you know, it's on the screen somewhere. I listened to this album today on my studio monitors here in my office and it was on Spotify. So the album artwork was really big on screen. And I was really mm-hmm. struck by just how great the album artwork for this album is. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, you know, it's inspired by the Trojan War and the early Greek Trojan War paintings. So it's black and orange, and it looks like it's painted on the side of a pot, but it's three different paintings kind of cut together. 
the one thing that uh, I did not, I thought was like really terrible about it uh, is the digital font that they used for the name yeah. of the album. It has not <laughs> aged well at all. Like no. you could strike that from it and just have the, the Greek style paintings and it would be phenomenal. Like that's a poster I would put on my wall kind of thing. But the font just kills it. It's got like that Reservoir Dogs, Sans Serif, like it, year two thousand. It's terrible. <laughs> what it reminds what it reminds me of is the same kind of text that Incubus used in a lot yes. of their album art. It's probably the and same font. It has, yeah. It looks it looks a lot like the same font from the album Make Yourself. Um, but yeah, in in both instances for both bands, like just get rid Wolf. of the tech. Just don't be afraid <laughs> to be abstract. Like, because I, I really like, that's probably a big part of why I bought it. And, uh, and why I bought some of the music that I bought when I was a kid was like, Oh, that looks cool. And yeah. that's what album art is for. And I agree with you. It is really cool album art, but it, they could Photoshop out that, uh, that like word art text and, and just come up with something a little bit more. Yeah, or, you know, put it really small in one of the bottom quadrants. I kind of like when bands do that, when you just have, like, name of band, name of album, really small in a super plain text. That way the the meat of the album art sticks out. Yep. No, I agree 100%. Well, what else do you have to talk about the album itself before we uh, dive into critical reception? Well, to be honest with you, we've kind of talked... uh, we've kind of hit all the talking points. I do. I do really like their approach to writing rock songs. I like the frenetic sort of time signature changes. I enjoy the, the loud, quiet, loud dynamics. You know, that's a thing that we kind of credit Nirvana uh, and a lot of those bands with is really going after the like quiet verse, loud chorus, you know, bridge that builds into a loud chorus and out. I, I think all of that really works. And, and I'm sure that that's kind of what saved the music for you is the compositions and everything are really interesting. But if you don't like that, the, you know, the voice, that's like the main thing that you're hearing in a band. So I can, I can understand that not being your bag. Uh, what did the what did the critics have to say? I kind of fell down on the uh, my end of the bargain with the <laughs> the um, critical reception here. I didn't do that much digging because it gets mentioned in guitar magazines, like it was mentioned in the Rolling Stones in like one of their album or one of their you know greatest of yeah. lists. Yeah, like a countdown of like hardcore music or something. So what did what did you find? So first off, it got a 77 out of 100 on Metacritic, and it was mainly uh, reviewed by alternative magazines. Um, the big thing that I basically saw, to your point, was it's on a ton of best of lists for the early 2000s, not just in the post-hardcore subgenre, but also even into the, the metal rock kind of genre as people are trying to synthesize, you know, the hundred best albums of the, the, the aughts. Well, okay. It's going to make it there. Cause there was probably only about a hundred albums in that decade. Let's be honest, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be well remembered and well received. Um, it did launch this band into a period of just super stardom. The, the, uh, singles from this album, which came out almost a year before the album itself came out put them in a limelight that sent them on a world tour. Um, I thought it was interesting looking at their Wikipedia page. Uh, this is probably something I should have said a little bit earlier, but it kind of breaks down their different tours. And like their first tour was a 4,000 mile, you know, five show event that they drove in a van. And then their second tour was an 11,000 mile trip with 15 shows. And by the, you know, this is a band from El Paso, Texas a group of young guys who are, you know, literally getting into a conversion van and touring places like the white rabbit, you know, the, the little clubs mm-hmm. and yeah. they make it out to LA and they get signed by a record company and they record an album. And 
before they know it, they're literally overnight sensations in the post-hardcore world. And the reason for their first hiatus that they wrote up was after a show in Australia, they just said, nah, we're done. Like we got to take a break. And that break lasted, you know, 10, almost 11 years when they reunited to play Coachella and Lollapalooza. And that was all they did. Like they just played two shows and then they were back on hiatus (laughs) till 2016. Um, So I think seeing just, you know, how well received they were by their audience and then how much of themselves they poured into it. You sent me a video earlier today, which kind of sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole watching them perform live. They are putting it all out there on the line. I may not agree with, you know, the, the vocal stylings, but you want to talk about jumping up and down and off of things and just the wear and tear that they're putting on their bodies. Uh, It's phenomenal to watch. Yeah. They Um, put on a show for sure. So that was really what I saw for critical reception is just people loved them and kind of the end of show. I mean, there was no like big name reviews that I was ready to read anything out on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's a, a curiously small amount of time that they were around to have made such a big impact on a lot of people our age, really. Uh, And I'm sure maybe some people from, you know, before then, and certainly, you know, people younger than us. Um, Are you ready to give our reviews? Yeah, man, let's do it. Um, Just a reminder to y'all before one of us launches into our spiel, um, that we rate these albums on a one to six guitar string scale. So a one string guitar, terrible. Hang it up outside on the trees to keep the birds uh, <laughs> away from whatever you're, what are you trying to keep birds away from when you do that? I guess just trees. keep them from ruining your garden or yeah. the trees. Yeah. But anyway, one string album, something you're going to go out and hang out on the trees. Uh, as sort of a scarecrow six string album. You're going to keep it in that jewel case. You're going to occasionally polish the jewel case with, uh, you know, with Dawn or whatever it is you use to keep jewel cases clean. Um, so yeah, one string to six string. Uh, what, what did you, what did you think of this album? Man? So there's a lot to really like about this album. Uh, I am a fan of hard rock. I do like metal. There's a lot of more progressive rock stuff that I do enjoy. And I do think of myself as a pretty well-rounded music fan, including some of the swath of punk music that this would be a subgenre of. I just, like I said earlier, really struggle to get along with the vocal stylings of at the drive-in. Um, Jim Ward, Cedric Bixer Zavala, all of them just, their voices are okay when they're trying to sing, but when they're blowing their voices out and screaming at me, it just kind of puts me into a defensive posture where I don't enjoy it as much. I do feel like this album is well played. It is well mixed. It is well recorded. It is well mastered and it is well released. Even if it does sound like something that was clearly released in the year 2000 and just as too digitally clean for my, you know, music sensibilities. Um, I think that instrument wise and music wise, it is a phenomenal composition. If you could like pan left and right and have less of the voices to the point of not having any voices, I'd pan all the way left and just listen to the music. And I, I would love this album if that was the case. Um, I think musically it's a six string album. Uh, the guitar solos, the bass solos, the drum solos, the, that the whole thing is just really, really killer. Um, I feel like as an album, it suffers from the early two thousands issue of just being too polished, uh, to be true post hardcore post punk kind of thing. Uh, and not a polished enough to be radio friendly you know, music or whatever. And I'm sure it was on the radio somewhere. So don't quote me on that, but 
all of that to say, I think it is a good album. It's a solid album. And I did not hate myself for having to listen to it all week. Um, so I'm going to give it three out of six strings. Chris, how about you? So, you know, when I was listening to this album uh, in high school, it made me feel cool because it was the <laughs> outermost borders of music. It was all this the cool crazy kids are listening to this. Stuff. Exactly. Or all the kids I thought was cool. They were probably all the mopey kids and, you know, checkered converse and skinny jeans. Um, but, you know, uh, for all for all that it fits into this weird sort of um, hot topic niche in yeah. music, uh, it's aged better for me personally than a lot of the stuff that surrounded it. Um, I still listen to one or two albums by Taking Back Sunday. I still enjoy Brand New. Those are both bands that were kind of closer to the emo pop punk spectrum of post hardcore than this band was certainly. Uh, but I think the, the music still, it still is alluring to me. It still sounds kind of innovating and exciting. You know, I was, I was thinking about it uh, between, you know, between picking this album out from the, uh, you know, from, the Oracle choosing it. And now um, it, it kind of has the excitement of like an old biplane mm-hmm. where like, this is rickety. We don't do things like this anymore, but that like innovation and excitement of like, we, we started to put guns on planes and we're going to drop a grenade over the side and see how that is. Like, that's what this album is to me. Um, I I think, like I mentioned earlier, this album does kind of last too long, which is a shame because it's only 13 tracks. I think they kind of stumble uh, at the end of it. Uh, the songs after quarantine didn't like I I listened to them for the first time in probably 10 to 11 years doing this album this week because I listened to the first four or five uh, and skip around. Um, so to sum it all up, it's it's raw and yet it's still out there. I think it's just a shade too long. So I'm going to give it four out of six strings. I think it's a good effort, but it's something that I, uh, upon reevaluation, I found that there were some some holes and some chinks in the armor that kind of stood out to me. I think that's really fair, and uh, I thank you for uh, bringing it to us. I mean, I'm glad we did finally get to this one on the list. I had like I said earlier, kind of been dreading the day that uh, the die would be cast in its favor. Uh, Now that we've kind of said our Sid and done our due, um, tell me what was your favorite track on this album? So my favorite track is pattern against user. Uh, It really captured my attention when I was discovering this band. Uh, It just kind of represents the sort of frenetic, crazy sort of part writing. Uh, and I like, I like the vocal melody. This is one, a tune that has some kind of fun, uh, call and response stuff that Cedric Bixler's of all, kind of does every once in a while between him and the dude singing back up. And so I think it's a, a lot of fun. It also kind of bounces around, uh, tempos and not necessarily time signatures, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sort of emblematic of everything I like about this album. Uh, what about you? Did you have, did you have an album, a tune that you could point to as like, I enjoyed this more than the others. Yeah. For favorite, for me, it's a toss up between invalid litter department and quarantined. And, uh, today I'm going to pick quarantined, uh, just cause it's the closest to something that I'm comfortable listening to. Um, I feel like, uh, Bixler Zavala's voice in that is the closest to being musical. It's very Mars Volta adjacent for a track, Mm -hmm. um, which like I said earlier is something I'm a little bit more familiar and comfortable with. I feel like he's trying a little bit harder in the Mars Volta project. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You see it's, it's more refined singing. That is for Uh, sure. But so that's my favorite. Uh, And it's one of the few tracks that, 
isn't quite as much word salad. It kind of has a, a theme throughout that kind of works for me. So I enjoyed yep. it. Um, what was your least favorite? So my least favorite is the tune non-zero possibility. It sounds like we're just talking about science fiction albums from the seventies, whatever we keep giving these album tracks or the name of Uh, like LSD infused short fiction, at least. Oh yeah. This is definitely a collection of Philip K. Dick short stories. Oh, don't Um, be dragging my man, Philip K. Dick. Hey, you brought up the high castle is probably the greatest (laughs) book in the sci-fi genre ever. It's pretty fantastic, uh, but I you you brought up drugs, and that was <laughs> that was Philip K. Dick's whole deal. Um, but yeah, this this two non-zero possibility, uh, it felt like early shades of Mars Volta for me, which, like I said, that kind of used to do it for me musically, but not so much anymore. Um, I felt like the textures were kind of washy and ran together. The the big echoey guitar, and also you know, big echoey keyboards. Um, and the chord progression and the melody just sort of wandered. It didn't feel as like purposeful and directed and kind of intentional as some of the other songs did. So, uh, and it also occurs on that like boring back half of the album for me. So yeah, that was my least favorite. I'm picking from the back half of the album, particularly the very last song on the album and that's catacombs. And the reason why I picked it is it sounds exactly like every other song on the album. It is not yeah. unique in any way. Like it's just yeah. another song. I yeah. It was a toss up for me between non-zero possibility and catacombs because it, I, I got to the end of the album and went like, is it finally over? Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's, come on. We've had like three tracks. Put me out of my misery, coach. Out. Yeah. Oh. Like the great value versions of the rest of the album. Uh, it's um, even worse than that. It's whatever Dollar General's off-brand is. Uh, it doesn't just deserve white a Walmart. With yes. black text. It's it's like the the cans that just say beer on them on a uh-huh. white label with black text, just beer. That's it. Generic food, yeah. Uh, Generic music, song. <laughs> song 13. So. Um, well, we've introduced this new segment here called uh you know in a word so for you in a word how do you sum up relationship of command the album well first off my first impression it's a sentence it's quoting another uh one of my favorite movies which uh in a few weeks i'm sure we'll probably be talking about will ferrell again but here we go uh loud noises why is everybody yelling uh (laughs) my word is perplexing yeah. Um, there's a lot going on here and there's a lot that I like and there's a lot that I don't like. And I found myself perplexed by this album. How about you, Chris? What is your word? Uh, so the word I felt for this album, and it, I actually, this word came to me pretty early in the week, is adventurous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the two main creative heavies in this band, Omar Rodriguez Lopez and Cedric Bixler Zavala really broke some ground. I felt with this album. Uh, and one of the things I didn't mention too much, we kind of hinted at it and, and talked about it a little bit. Uh, this album influenced a lot of people, a lot of people that I really enjoy. Uh, and I kept hearing little riffs and ideas that I recognized from other bands that had kind of followed in at the drive-ins footsteps. Uh, so I, I like that. I think that's neat. So uh, adventurous or charting new ground, uh, at least as far as I can tell. I think that's a great word for it. It definitely uh, lives up to that. Well, uh, would we're coming up on the holidays. Uh, has the Oracle checked out? Is she, is she putting in for some PTO? Her hotel room has a do not disturb sign hanging off of it. So we can't bug her for a little while. Um, This week is our last regularly scheduled episode for the year, but that doesn't mean uh, audience that you're getting away with no new content from us. Uh, Chris and I have been putting together a series of holiday themed episodes that'll be dropping every Wednesday. uh, So you get the content you desire. 
Uh, next week, we're doing a Thanksgiving themed episode, which I will be joined by my BFF, my ride or die, uh, Tiffany. Uh, and we'll be talking uh, on the day before Thanksgiving about the things we're thankful for and for Thanksgiving type things. And we'll be making fun of our wedding reception playlist, uh, which has 83 songs and some of them are really cringe. <laughs> I, I, I love that y'all are at a point where you can make fun of stuff from your wedding <laughs> and, and not worry about it. it you it guys had like a now. <laughs> You guys had uh, a legit wedding and a really great ceremony. My wife and I had a really great ceremony, but we did not stick around to do any glad handing or chatting. We had as bare bones a service as we could put together. So our, our wedding reception playlist was um, whatever seemed like a good inoffensive Pandora playlist. <laughs> Uh, and then we booked it, but I'm looking forward to hearing that album. It's nice to be on the other end and hear you and your lovely wife talk about things. Cause y'all have good chemistry. We're going to make fun. you and Megan do one, one of these days. We just got to figure out what the, uh, the episode is. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll find one. We'll find one to do one of these days. Uh, well, great. folks, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have been enjoying our show, please rate it and review it. We are always interested in what you have to say. And we might even read your reviews or comments on air. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at two dudes and tunes at gmail.com all spelled out and all lowercase. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Chris is over there in charge of all that. We want to know what you thought about relationship of command. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday when we are in full swing of the Thanksgiving holiday and get to celebrate all the things that we're thankful for. We'll see you later, guys. Bye.